If you will, though, stand with us this morning for the reading and reverence of the Word of God. I'd like for you to turn your Bibles, if you will, this morning to John, the Gospel of John, chapter number 19. Gospel of John, chapter number 19. Got a little bit more of an introduction, I guess, this morning than I would have uh, a message. And, uh, or I have a message, but more of an introduction, I suppose, than, uh, than the message. But we'll get to it, what the Lord's laid on our heart in due time. All right, John says here, John's gospel, uh, starting in, uh, let's see here, verse number 38. John's gospel, chapter number 19 and verse number 38. The Bible says, and after this, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus, and there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, where it was, wherein was never man yet laid. There they laid Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Let's read on in chapter 20, verse 1. The Bible says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark into the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Praise God right there. The Bible says, Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. We know that being John. And saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher, so they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher, and he stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself, then went in also that other dis, uh, disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. You can be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning above all things for the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for being willing to, to die on an old rugged cross to have your body uh, mutilated for mankind. Lord, what love you've shown us, what love you've extended. And Lord, I ask this morning if there be one lost and undone, someone who may not know you in the free pardon of sin, Lord, that this morning would be the morning they would call upon your name, the name which is above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We ask God that you'd work in their hearts this morning. Encourage the downtrodden, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. A couple things I'd like to call your attention to as we begin to introduce to you what the Lord has laid on our heart. I would like for you to notice with me, if you would, in verse number 39, that the Bible said, And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight, 
Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes. Now notice, if you will, the Bible says here, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. So they were burying Christ as the manner that they would bury any other individual uh, in their in their life. So if someone had died and passed off the scene, uh, the action that they would take in preparation to bury the body, uh, to embalm the body, if you will, by the, at least the way they would do it, maybe it was different or is different than the way that uh, we would understand the embalming of a body today, but uh, we understand that they were taking precaution and they were taking action uh, to... to uh, uh, put these spices and to take these things, the, the myrrh and the aloes, and apply them to the body of Christ before he was buried. And they were treating this burial as the manner of the Jews would any other burial. But I'm thankful that this burial was not like any other burial, and I thank the Lord for that. So as they began to treat it this way, they, they did not understand. How do we know that they did not understand? Well, chapter 20 and verse number 8 says, Then went in also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed, for as they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples, having followed Christ, been a follower of Christ, had learned from Christ did not understand from a scriptural standpoint that he must rise again from the dead. And they were treating this situation just as they would any other burial. Now, if I can, for just a moment, I'd like to work up through a few portions of scripture and get back to this place where we have now left off. So if you will, turn with us to John chapter uh, number 11. John chapter number 11. I want to explain to you a similar story about resurrection, about a resurrection. I'm sure any of you that have spent any time in the scripture at all remember the very familiar passages of scripture where uh, Mary and Martha had cried over the death of her, their brother Lazarus and that Jesus has gone to the grave and he uh, causes Lazarus to rise forth from the dead. The Bible says in verse number uh, 39, Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Uh, the Bible says, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee, that thou hast heard me. So after the, the, the people had obeyed the Lord, removed the stone from the place where Lazarus was laid, we understand that Jesus approaches the throne room, if you will. Jesus goes to God, his Father, in prayer. And he says, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that thou that they may believe that thou hast sent me. So as he's praying to the Lord, he is letting it be known here that he's making this prayer to his Father in heaven so that those that stand by and were in earshot of his voice could understand and hear that he was giving the credit and the praise and the honor to God the Father for all that was being done and that he appreciated that his Father would hear him in prayer. He says that they may believe us that thou hast 
sent me. So he made this prayer to his father, which is God. He has said it in their hearing and he has said it in front of them that they may believe that that God had sent him. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was bound with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, loose him and let him go. Notice with me, if you will, uh, that in this particular story, man had to roll the stone away from the tomb. I do want you to understand that also that after the vo- Jesus had cried out and told Lazarus to come forth, that the power of this resurrection did not come from within Lazarus, but it come from the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. So we credit the Lazarus being uh, risen again, even days after he had died, and even days that his body, by natural, uh, by by the way that a body would naturally break down, uh, it even st- was stinking. But Jesus said, "Come forth," and Lazarus' life was given back unto Lazarus. But here's what I do want you to see. The Bible says in verse number 44, and he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes. He, was, he had risen. He was alive. He, he was no longer dead, Brother Shane. He was no longer stinking, but he was still bound with a, with a napkin and bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And Jesus saith unto them, loose him and let him go. So in this particular story of this particular resurrection, we see that the power of the Lord Jesus Christ brought Lazarus forth, put life back in his body, but he demanded of those that were around to loose him, to unwrap him, if you will, from the grave clothes. And I want to look a little bit, if I can, uh, at grave clothes uh, for just a few minutes this morning and, and notice a few things here that the Lord uh, has laid on our heart. Now, when we move over into chapter number 12, we remember a familiar story uh, of the supper at Bethany where Mary and Martha uh, was, and Jesus was with Lazarus. And we understand here that Mary had took a pound of ointment of spikenard very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus. And we know that Martha was cumbered about with much service. But you get down to verse 9, and the Bible says, Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only. Now, why was it that Jesus prayed that prayer to God, his Father, before he raised Lazarus from the dead? For the benefit of the people. Now, I do want you to notice this. The people now are coming. They're coming to see something, but it wasn't for Jesus' sake only. The Bible says, but they, that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. So they had an interest. Their interest was they knew of a man that had died. A man that, that the population of Bethany knew of this man Lazarus. Lazarus has passed away. Lazarus has died. He's been placed in a tomb. Along comes Jesus four days and uh, this man's been dead and he brings him forth and gives life back unto him. And it caused such an interest and a stirring. Imagine if you will, uh, knowing someone in your personal life who'd passed away and was dead, gone for several days and suddenly they have life given back unto them. 
sin? Would that not interest you? Would it not cause you to question some things? Would you not have to go down and see it with your own eyes just because of the disbelief that something that had never happened before is now happening? It would, it would, it would put a stir in us and a desire. I mean, if, if, if 50 to 100 people come to me and told me the same story of, of, of someone that I knew having died and lived again, if I knew for sure they were dead, I'd have to go see them to see for sure that they were alive. And so what I'm wanting you to see is Jesus is doing what he's doing for the benefit of the people. There's, there's coming a day in the near future where Jesus is going to have to die. Where Jesus is going to shed his blood, be hung on an old rugged cross, and be placed in a tomb. And he was showing forth his power to bring forth someone that was dead back to life again. Uh, to stir an interest of these things before he dies and goes to Calvary and is placed in a tomb. And so we see here in verse number 10, but the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. So Jesus, because of this resurrection, because it started interest in people to see could this have really have happened, it caused people to come to lay eyes on Lazarus, to see Lazarus. And we know that, that it stirred up such a controversy that the chief priest consulted not only uh, that Jesus would be dead, but that Lazarus would be dead also. Why? Because Lazarus' life was bringing a change to the people. His resurrected life, the power of the resurrection had such an impact on people that they could not help but believe on Jesus Christ and the power of the one that brought Lazarus forth from the grave. For there was no doubt that Lazarus was the one they were coming to see, but they understood that the one they were coming to see was there because of the power of someone else. And the power of someone else intrigued them so that they knew this power could not have been come from mankind. This had to have been something from the Lord. And so it caused them to believe and it stirred up the chief priest and frustrated them. But notice, if you will, we move into this triumphant entry uh, and, and we see that uh, of the, the, as we would have preached last Sunday, but we didn't feel led to do so, Palm Sunday, uh, that on the next day much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him. And, and there's this big uh, grand entrance, if you will. And in verse 16, the Bible said, These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. So there was some things that the disciples did not understand. There was some things that the people understood not. But Jesus is working through a chain of events and through a things that he is showing them to bring them to the knowledge of what thus saith the scripture. Notice this, it was always a matter that Jesus fulfilled the scripture. I do want you to know that. If something was written in the scripture, the Bible will tell us of the event that Jesus had taken part of to fulfill the scripture. I'm thankful this morning that we have the word of God and the scripture that we can read and we can believe what thus saith the Lord. So there were some things that were not understood, but there were some things that the disciples were going to understand. I know in my own life there were some things that I did not understand, but I remember when the Lord revealed it to me, and I thank the Lord for that. So the Bible says here 
in verse 23 uh, of chapter 12, and Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now notice with me, if you will, Jesus has just a couple, a chapter so back, raised Lazarus forth from the dead. The resurrection wasn't far from the mind of Christ. The resurrection was not something that had left the mind of Christ. The, the Christ had actually given them a preview, if you will, of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. And it's not far from his mind because he says, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And what he was talking about, is, as, as is common with Jesus Christ, he would take a worldly example and make a spiritual application with it so that the person that he was talking to could grasp what it is that he was saying. Now you know and I that a, 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 a piece of corn, if you will, uh, is, is no bigger than just the tip of your finger. But you can plant that piece of corn in the ground and after that corn is dead in the ground that that corn will bring forth new life and because of that new life it will bring forth a stalk and there will be a couple of ears of corn come up on that stalk and through the death of that one kernel of corn and it being buried it will emerge again and when it emerges it brings forth life with it and so he's making this example not only of death but we see the picture of the resurrection in this particular verse verse number 24. And the Bible says here, notice with me if verse number 26, if any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, he will my father honor. All right, and so we understand here that Jesus, no doubt, is called many times in the scripture, master. And these were servants that were following him, but yet did not have a full-on understanding of what is going on, but they're going to. They're going to understand. All right, so let's move, if you will, uh, let's see here to Matthew chapter number 26. I'm, I'm painting a picture, if I can, uh, to bring you to the climax of the uh, scripture. If you'll just follow along with me and bear with me, we'll get to where we want to go. Matthew chapter number 26 and verse number 26, we find a story uh, of the Lord's Supper, all right? And this is, I'm trying to bring you through a, a, a timeline of events, if I will, leading up to the death of Christ. As we get into Matthew 26 and verse 26, the Bible says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now you and I know that without the shedding of blood, according to the book of Hebrews, there is no remission of sin. It took the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ uh, to die for mankind so that mankind could be cleansed of their sin. But Jesus here in this familiar portion of scripture is likening his body, if you will, to the bread. Uh, and we understand that uh, his, his, uh, the cup uh, uh, the fruit of the vine in the cup is a picture of his blood. Now what's interesting is the Bible says here, and there's some few key words that I want to hone in on. The Bible says in verse number 26, as they were eating, 
Jesus took the bread. So we see bread. We see that he blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body. So we see a correlation from the bread and the body. Then we see in verse number 27, he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for uh, many for the remission of sins. Notice with me, if you will, though, he's correlating the cup and what is in the cup, Brother Shane, uh, with the blood of his body. And, and he was telling the disciples at the, at the Last Supper, you, you're going to take of this bread and you're going to eat of this bread after he broke it. And it's going to, it's going to be a picture of my body, which is to be broken. So the broken bread is a picture of the broken body. But I want you to notice this. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. The cup was holding the fruit of the vine and what was in the cup, the fruit of the vine was to be taken and, and it was to be in remembrance of the blood that was to be shed. But notice, if you will, it had to be held in the cup. But Jesus' blood had to be shed and so I want you to, and that's going to be important here in just a minute because the Bible says, what I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now notice with me, if you will, why is it that Christ would not partake of the Last Supper with the disciples? He plainly makes it known that they should take of the bread, they should take of the cup, but after they've taken of the bread and they've taken of the cup, he does not take of the bread and take of the cup. He lets them know that until that day, when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now Jesus is all the time revealing unto them Scripture. All the time is he revealing unto them that when they, when they hear something, they can go back to it and believe it as the Word of God being truth, because Jesus will never go against his word. And when he tells them this, this is a significant portion of scripture because it is to say to them that I have not taken of this now, but I will take of it with you in the future. And so there's a future event that there will uh, come a time that the Lord Jesus Christ will drink it new with the church in uh, the Father's kingdom. All right, so here's what I want you to see. The master hasn't eaten yet. The master has not drank yet. Now notice with me, I'm going to read to you Luke 22, 19 quickly. The Bible says, and he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you. All right, and this do in remembrance of me. Now pay attention to this closely because Jesus not only is breaking the bread, not only is he giving them of the cup, but it is, an, it is something that they are to do again and again and again. We know that this is an ordinance in the scripture that we as the New Testament church, we do follow. And each time we follow it, we do it understanding that as we take of the bread and we take of the fruit of the vine and we're doing it to, to it's commemorative to remember what Christ had done, but he said, do this, uh, this do in remembrance of me. So he's trying to get the disciples not only to, 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 to take it and to understand what it is, but to understand that they need to constantly remember what it is that the Lord done for them. We consider him 
that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest we be wearied and faint in our mind. It's easy to get faint. Listen, it's easy to get running in so many different directions that you feel like just passing out and giving up. But when we consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners, it gives us the ability to go a little farther. So he's saying, I want you to remember. Now, he's wanting them to remember something that hasn't taken place yet. So obviously he expects them to do this even after he is gone. But notice if you will, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five 25 says, After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament. In my blood this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. So it's a, it's a matter of remembrance. Now move back with me to John chapter number 13. John chapter number 13. Notice with me now, John chapter 13, the Bible says something that I find fascinating. The Bible says John chapter number 13, and the, or verse number two, and supper being ended. So we're following a timeline. The devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hand and he was come from God and went to God. Verse 4 says, He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Now he's just told the disciples to remember something. He has just told the disciples to remember the bread, to remember the cup, that this signifies something. And while it's fresh on their minds to be remembering this commandment, we see Christ does something else. And his next step is, is to... Um, uh, he said, uh, laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Now, what was it Lazarus could not do when Jesus caused him to come forth from the grave? Lazarus did not remove himself from the linen cloth. It took man to remove the linen cloth from Lazarus, for it was man that bound Lazarus and laid him in a tomb. Jesus put life back in him, but man had to unwrap him and give him the freedom to be able to walk and move about. But we see that Jesus has just said, I want you to take of this cup. I want you to take of this bread. It's my broken body. It is, it is my blood that is shed for the remission of sin. But then we see that Jesus has laid aside his garments. You're going to find that in a few minutes when we get into the, the tomb, that when Jesus was resurrected and come forth from the dead and from the grave, he left his linen clothes, Brother Gene, laying in the grave where he laid. He wasn't present, but the clothes still were. And so I notice me here that the Bible says his uh, laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself after that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Now I want you to pay close attention to this. Then cometh he to Simon Peter and Peter saith unto him Lord dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him what I do thou knowest not now but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Now I want you to notice this. Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands. And my head. Now listen to me. I'm not trying to be funny and or cute this morning, but I want you to pay attention to me. 
If we went to each individual to, this morning and started pulling your shoes off your feet, it'd get real embarrassing. It'd get real weird. And I'll be honest with you, Brother Gene, I, I'm weird about my feet hanging out in front of everybody. I don't know about you, but that's just who I am. It's my feet. I don't want you messing with them. Number one, I'd have to really humble myself, Brother Gene, to wash your feet. And you'd have to really let go of some pride to allow me to do it. So we see a picture of humbleness and a picture of pride. Jesus Christ, the one, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, the Son of God, the one that came to this earth and humbled himself unto death and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, laid aside his garment, girded himself, and got down and was going to humbly wash the feet, the old, stinky, nasty, dirty feet of this man. And Peter, being such of a prideful individual, says, you're not going to wash my feet. You're not going to touch my feet. Now, I might wash, you, I might wash yours, but you're not going to touch mine. And Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you'll have no part with me. And it was so important to Peter to have part with Jesus. He said, well, if that's the case, then I'm going to put my pride aside. And if you would, go ahead and you wash my feet. You wash my head and you wash my hands and you wash whatever you need to because I want to take part with you. And if you're going to have part with Jesus Christ, you're going to have to allow yourself to, to put aside the pride and to know that it's not too much to ask for you to set aside your pride for he set aside any pride that he had and humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so it says, Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Revelation 1 and 5 says, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. I was born a sinner destined for hell, Man born of a woman we know is a sinner. David said, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus didn't just die. He didn't just die, but he washed me. He cleansed me. He humbled himself. He girded himself. He laid aside the, the, the garment and he come to where I was, Brother Shane. And he washed me. In his own blood. And I thank God for that. So you see a picture here of the care that was taken for mankind from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, we understand here Jesus answered to him, What I do thou knowest not now. This is John chapter 13 and 4. John chapter 13 and 4 said, He rises from supper and laid aside his garment and took a towel and girded himself. When we get down to verse 7, Jesus said, answered unto him, What I doest thou knowest not now. But thou shalt know hereafter. So what he's saying is here, you don't understand what's going on. You don't get it, but I'm going to show you in the hereafter. You don't understand right now, but you will understand. So notice there's still some things as we're making this progression up to Calvary and the time that Jesus will die and be buried, that there's still this matter of things that are not fully understood. We've got a matter here of, of a man being resurrected to show people Jesus has the power. 
Then we move into this, this matter of, of, of the Last Supper and the Lord talking about bread and, and, the, and the cup and it relating to something. So far, Jesus is just taking all these things that are happening in the world and he's making an application with them to teach the people what is going on here. And so here's what I want you to see. You don't understand yet, but you will. And so here's, here's what we're going to look at here. Alright, look with me if you will here in Acts chapter number 17 for just a moment. Acts chapter number 17. And let's read verses number, oh let's see, 29. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17 verse number 29, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, We ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the time of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed the day in which the in the, in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. So there's assurance, if you will, in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus didn't just die a cruel death. Jesus wasn't just buried and laid in a tomb. For if it had ended there, we couldn't say that there was anything significant about Jesus. Because there are many little G-gods, if you will, that people have formed religions around today. That their ones that they worship and serve are in a tomb today, dead, buried, and they haven't ever come forth. But Jesus did more than just hang on a cross. He did more than just suffer and bleed and die. He did more than just lay in a tomb with a stone put in front of the door. But three days after he died, he rose again. And that is significant today. And so as we consider here in the Gospel of John, if I can find my place, go with me back to chapter number 19. And let's look here at verses number 28. Now, for sake of time, we know Jesus has been crucified. You can go to Psalms chapter number 22 and find a very uh, in-depth picture of what Christ went through in his crucifixion. Let me just say this for the sake of time. Isaiah tells us that his vigils was marred unlike any man. That means that you with your eyes could not look at Christ and, and even recognize him for who he was. He was unrecognizable because of the beating that he had taken. Now notice with me, if you will, his body held the blood that would be shed. His blood was shed for the remission of sin. And at the time that he passed the cup to the disciples and said, do this in remembrance of me, this cup that was given them, the blood was held within the cup. At the same time, Jesus was allowing this cup to signify the very blood that was pumping through his veins at that time. So it would not be doing harm to the scripture to say that Jesus Christ had in his entirety, his body was holding all of the blood at one time. So as the disciples are holding the cup, the picture of the blood, Jesus' body is also holding all of the blood that would be shed. 
So notice with me, Jesus has been beaten. He's been brutally abused and marred and, and, and his flesh has been torn from him. The Bible said his bones stared upon him. So the bones of his skeletal system were, were uh, open to human eyeballs. Human eyes could see his bones. And so the Bible says here in verse number 28, after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it up on his and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, listen now, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. It, it is finished. I want you to notice this. It is finished, but Christ wasn't done. It was finished, but Christ wasn't finished. See, they thought when they laid Jesus in the tomb that he was finished. But he wasn't finished. But what he come to fulfill had been finished when he died upon the cross of Calvary. What he come to do, he said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but the world through him might be saved. And we understand here that condemnation was on all of mankind but Christ has come. He's bled and died and he's fulfilled the law with the shedding of his blood. So notice if you will everything that he had showed the disciples he showed the disciples at the Last Supper to remember what it was that he was going to do. But we see here that it is finished. Well, when we get back over into verse number, uh, let's see here, in verse number one of chapter 20 of the Gospel of John, the Bible says the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark under the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore, notice with me if you will who it is that's going to the tomb. It was Peter who the Lord had a conversation with about washing his feet. It was Peter who was not humbled. It was Peter who had too much pride to allow Jesus Christ to, 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 uh, to, to take part of his garments away and to gird himself and to wash his feet. But it was also Peter who learned and understood that he had had no part with Christ unless Christ done this. And we know Peter didn't understand it this time, but Peter was going to understand. And so Peter now is on his way to the, to the tomb where Jesus was laid because Mary Magdalene who had went understands that the stone has been rolled away and Jesus isn't there. So the Bible said in verse 3, Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple, which we know as John, came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter. So John has made it to the tomb before Peter. And came first to the sepulcher, and he stooping down, this being John, and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet he went not in. So in haste, Brother Gene, he looks into the tomb, and he sees that Jesus isn't there, but all is there is the linens. All right, so follow along here. Then cometh Simon Peter following him. Simon Peter didn't stoop down and peek. Simon Peter went in the tomb. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes. Now I want you to notice John's gospel takes pains to express this portion of this event where the other gospels do not. And so there's a significance to this portion in the gospel that we need to get. 
said, Then cometh Simon Peter following him, went into the sepulcher, and sit the linen clothes lying, and the napkin that was about his head not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. So he's taking notice of something that John did not. John is, is in haste, and John is, is looked in there, and all John sees is Jesus is indeed gone. But Peter's not just noticing that Jesus is gone. He's noticing some facts about what it looks like in the tomb. And he takes notice that the linen clothes are, are, are laid in a certain fashion. He said the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Now I want to notice to you, uh, there, there's some people that have, uh, have, have formed a belief that this napkin has some significance in uh, Jewish tradition. I can't find anything about that. I've looked, I've searched, I've, I've tried, I've heard it preached that this napkin meant some things and because they have bastardized uh, the, the idea of what the scripture is saying, it almost takes away from the truth of what this scripture does mean. But I do want you to notice something with me. The Bible makes it plain that there's a significance to the, where the linen clothes lay and where the napkin is laid. And the interesting thing about it is, Peter has noticed this. He understands that Lazarus had to be unwrapped when he was brought forth from the grave. But Jesus has not had to be unwrapped. Jesus' grave clothes are laying there just as it was when Christ was placed in the tomb. His lifeless body was lain by mankind. The stone was rolled in front of the tomb. Now we understand that the stone is not there. Now we understand that the tomb is open. But the clothes were in the exact same spot as they were when Jesus was laying there. But Jesus is gone. Jesus has resurrected. There is life in Jesus Christ at this time. And because Peter knows that there's no way that man could have had anything to do with this resurrection because if man had anything to do with this resurrection the grave clothes would not be laying in the same place that they were. Jesus left a clear sign and ignorant Peter the one that always stuck his foot in his mouth had enough sense at this moment in time to know that he could believe and take God at his word and when Jesus said something Peter understood that it was the truth and Peter is looking at these clothes and he knows he knows, the Bible says, then went and also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher. So in other words, John now is picking up on something being different as well. Peter's talking. John peeked in. Peter goes in and looks. Now John comes in behind Peter to see what Peter's talking about. And the Bible says, then went and also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher and he saw and believed. What did he believe? He believed what he did not understand earlier in the scriptures. He had come to fruition everything Jesus had been bringing them up to. He has witnessed it and seen it. But here's what I want you to notice and I'll be done this morning. We look at the cup and we look at the bread. The cup had the wine or the fruit of the vine in it. It was there in its entirety. But we know that there had to be the shedding of blood 
for the remission of sins. When we look at the brutal beating and the, and, the, and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, we say bloody Calvary, a bloody cross, there was blood everywhere. I'm not trying to be gory, but no man can take the abuse that Christ took and blood not run everywhere. I mashed my little bitty finger one time with a tractor and blood squirted out of it every time my heart beat. If you can only imagine the bloody mess at Calvary, the scene as it was on that day, it was a gory, bloody, awful mess. The blood was no longer in the cup, Brother Gene, but it had been spread everywhere. And here's what I want you to see. These beautiful white linen clothes, I know they washed Christ's body. Listen, the body holds a lot of blood. They've washed Christ's body. They've wrapped him in these linen clothes. They've laid him in the grave. And I want you to know, and I'm not trying to be gruesome, but whatever fluid is in the body, when the body passes away, it will begin to excrete from the body. Jesus' blood, Jesus' water, what was in his body was oozing out into these linen clothes. And so what I want you to see is Peter's looking at these linen clothes. Jesus isn't here, but this bloody, these bloody linens are, if you will. The cup held the water, I mean, uh, the cup held the fruit of the vine as it was, but now the, the fruit of the vine's no longer in the cup. It's been scattered everywhere. And we're talking about a supper here. Have you ever went to supper or been in a restaurant and one of your lovely little children elbowed a drink and embarrassed you and them both and, and we find that this, the fluid went everywhere and, and in haste everybody was trying to clean it up. Here's what I want you to see, friend. Blood was shed all over the place. Uh, the supper became a, a mess, if you will. Uh, the supper, this idea of remembering what Jesus Christ done, we went from everything just being so-so and everything to being in the cup to it being a mess, if you will, at the table. But when they come in there, they see that the linen clothes are there, having all the blood in the linen clothes, but Jesus is gone. The bread is gone. The wine is gone. But the leftovers, friend, of the cleanup is still there. I'm glad, friend, that it was a messy day at Calvary, but because of Jesus Christ, he cleaned up, friend, what we could not clean up, and all that was left was the remnant of a supper that had been taken, friend, and Jesus Christ cleaned up the mess that had to be made because of your and my sin. And Jesus knew that. And when Peter went into the sepulcher, he seen what it was that Christ not only had done for him, but he understood what it was to be washed and cleaned by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now my question to you today is this. Jesus died. Jesus Christ uh, uh, died a gory death. He was buried. He rose again. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God and he ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. But are you a saint? Are you been saved by the grace of God? Have you been washed in the blood of Calvary's Lamb? Notice with me, 1 Peter 1.18 says this and I'll be closing. The Bible said, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. And then I love this verse, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. I have faith and hope in God. I have faith and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ because I serve one. I know him in the free pardon of sin, the one that not only died, the one that was not only buried, but the one that rose again. And he will come again 
for the church. That where he is, there we may be also. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God and the dead, and Christ shall rise first. Notice with me, Jesus Christ did not partake of the supper. So when we go to the tomb, we see that the bread and the wine is gone. It's been cleaned up. All that's left, if you will, are the rags that hold the the wine that had been spilt at the dinner. But then we see here that Christ still hasn't partaken. He hasn't eaten yet. See, there's been a cleanup. The food is gone, but Christ hasn't partaken of it. So what are you saying? I'm saying it's a picture, friend, that dinner is over and Christ still hasn't hasn't partaken. But because his word said that he would and because Peter learned that day that everything Jesus said would come to pass and that he would fulfill the scripture, you and I can believe today that he's coming again to take the church, to rapture the church, and one day, friend, we will partake with him just as they did in the days before Jesus Christ died and went to Calvary. Are you saved? Are you on your way to heaven? Do you know that Jesus Christ died for you? Listen, the Bible says, to as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. It is within your power this morning to be saved because Jesus fulfilled everything that he came to do. How do you know, preacher? Because the Bible says that it is finished. He's not done. He's not through with the church. But what he come to do for our salvation was finished that day at Calvary. And he lives again. So as Brother Marvin sang that song, he lives. He lives. Listen, he does live. I thank God that on Easter Sunday morning I can announce to you with all assurance of faith that he does live. He lives. Why? The tomb is empty. The cross is empty. But I have full assurance of faith because he rose again. Let's all stand to our feet, ever head bowed, ever eye closed, no one looking around. Brother Marvin, if you will, I'd like for you to come this morning and get a song of invitation. There's no rush. Take your time. Just come to the front when you can. You and Miss Weekly find a song of invitation. I would like for you to sing a song of invitation this morning. And I want you to be taking a census this morning. Listen, you may be saved and on your way to heaven. Maybe you just need to consider this morning what Christ has done for you. Maybe you have forgotten the reality of that brutal picture of Calvary and what Christ done for you. But maybe you're here lost and undone. You don't know him in the free pardon of sin. You've never accepted what he done for you. You've never received him as your personal Lord and Savior. Listen, this morning is the morning, friend, that you need to do that. We weren't promised one opportunity to be saved. Jesus didn't have to come. But he did come and he did die to seek and to say that which was lost. And if you're lost this morning, he went through what I just preached to you for you. That you might escape the charred walls of the damned and be with him forever. That where he is, there you may be also. If you need to be saved this morning, I would that you'd come to this old-fashioned altar to give your heart to Jesus as Brother Marvin sings.
Oh, God, help us this morning. just for a moment. Do you need to come this morning? That blood was shed for you, friend, at Calvary. Jesus took the penalty of sin. Jesus Christ bled and died. He bore our sins, our sorrows. He died for us. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. But the Bible says with his stripes we are healed. It's through his death that you and I can have salvation. He took the penalty of sin. It's pointed out to man once to die and after this the judgment. Mankind will ju- be judged and he, they will have to, to die and stand before Jesus Christ. Stand before the Lord because of the sinner that we were born being. But you can do something about it today, friend. He come. He come to seek and to save that which was lost. If you're lost, friend, you need to come because if you don't, You could die, break off from this life into eternity and have to pay the sin debt for yourself. And it will be an eternity in hell because the sin debt was so large that you and I do not have the ability to pay it. If we could have paid the debt on our own, Christ Jesus would not have come and bled and died. But he had to because no no one else or nothing else could suffice. Nothing else could please God. Bible says in Isaiah, he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. The only thing that ever satisfied God concerning our sin was what Jesus Christ done at Calvary. And if you do not accept him in the free pardon of sin, friend, there are not enough angels in heaven, friend, to keep you out of hell. If you need to come, friend, you come. While they sing. One more verse of invitation. Ah! Uh-huh. 